Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. There were so many lessons I learned in season three, I wanted to do a mashup of some of my favorite tips and takeaways so that you would have a great resource to help you feel your best. Happy listening. In this first section, Koya Webb, holistic health and nutrition wellness coach, shares tips on the importance of loving yourself first and how to find your purpose, fill your life with joy and feel the fear and do it anyway. We have to nurture ourselves and especially mothers or that are giving all the energy to their partners and, and children and people who are just like overextending themselves. They have to realize if you love yourself first and most and nurture yourself, you're always going to have enough to serve your loved ones and your family and the world. And so that's really one of my, my biggest messages in the world is just like not forget. Don't forget to love yourself first. Well, we are recording this on Valentine's Day, so very appropriate on self-love. So on that note, I'm going to ask for people who are struggling with that, what are tips that you like to share with your community of, because I think it's easy to say that, but it's so hard for so many people to put themselves first. And it's like, you feel selfish and all of those things come up of why you're not deserving of it. So how, what are your, some of your favorite tips? My favorite tips, number one is a mindset shift. You have to know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help others. You have to know that the more you take care of yourself, the better you're going to be able to take care of others. Now, if you don't take care of yourself, eventually you'll be giving a less healthy version of yourself to others when you could give a more vibrant risk. So I really think that mindset change has to happen else people will unfortunately always feel shameful and guilty about self-care and self-love and self-nurturing. How do you you think you even change that mindset? I feel like realizing that if you take care of yourself, you can take care of others better. That's what did it for me because I am a servant leader. I serve, it's in my DNA somewhere. My mom gave it to me, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I just love to serve. I get high off serving. I'm a lover. I love for a living. It just does it for me. I I sing the song, as long as I know how to love, I know I stay alive. You know, it's just, it's just who I am. And so I literally have to schedule self-care because if I don't, I will, pour myself into the social media. I will pour myself into whoever texts me overnight. I will pour myself into my emails. I will serve, serve, serve. And when I'm doing my work hours, it's touch at once. It's like, what do you need? Got you. What do you need? Answer. What do you need? Boom. And I'm I'm a touch at once kind of person. I get it done. I'm a generator. I have a lot of energy and I put it out there. So if I didn't have healthy boundaries yeah. and when I did not have healthy boundaries, I was exhausted. I was overworked. I was overwhelmed. And eventually I was resentful. Why are people taking advantage of me? Why are we... People are needy by nature. No one was doing anything for me. It's <laughs> living their lives and getting off on my goods because I was giving them out in abundance. So of course people are taking because it was good. They wanted it and I take what I want too. And so I had to realize it is not someone else's fault if they are receiving my service services, it's my responsibility to create healthy boundaries for myself, to nurture myself so that I can stay in a healthy place. And I'm going to be able to serve those people even better. I think a lot of times we want to serve, serve, serve. And then when we feel bad, 
we um, kind of put it off on the person that we're giving it to, but that's really not taking what I call radical responsibility. And there's a book out there that really dives into what it means to take responsibility for your feelings. And so I really had to do some healing around codependency myself and really learning how growing up in my family dynamic taught me codependency and taught me that if I gave, that means I'm love and that I had to give over and beyond myself to be loved. And I actually had to unlearn that. And I had to learn that me just being who I am is enough, number one. And then number two, giving as much as I can give and I feel healthy giving is enough. And three, that people are always going to need and I'm always going to be able to serve if I take care of myself. But if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to be able to serve. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to have sickness mentally, spiritually, and physically. And that's what happens when you don't create healthy boundaries. We don't practice self-care. What are some of the tips that you say to your community to find your purpose? Because I, I feel like for so many of us, we kind of just fall into that. Or you might say we didn't fall into it. It was synchronicity and it was all meant to develop. But for someone who's struggling to figure out like, what is my purpose? I have this fun game that I share in my book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. And it's called Filling Your Love Bank. And it's something that I recommend people do when they're feeling down or having a great day. Just write all the things you love to do, going for a walk, playing with children, playing with animals, eating your favorite meal, like whatever it is, just write it all down and put it on a sheet of paper, sheets of paper, and then put it in like a jar. Like I like putting mine in a mason jar, but you could put it in any type of container or just, you can even just spread it on the floor, right? And then pick out and do the things that bring you joy. And this is what I did. I did everything that brought me joy. And I highly suggest this for people, especially if you're in college or if you're trying to figure it out, or even if you're in a job transition and you're like, I don't like my job. Well, just do all the things that bring you joy and see what really rises to the top. See that thing that you want to do. And even if you didn't get paid for, you would still be doing it because you love it so much. But I really do think you have to explore and go through that exploratory phase, that eat, pray, love, you know, phase <laughs> of just like doing all the things and then and just seeing what brings you joy. And I feel like that helps you find your purpose. And not only does it help you find your purpose, but you might be multi-passionate like myself and have many things. Like I love to cook. So I created Koi's Cuisine. I love to act. So I did some acting and some commercials. I love to do fitness. So I did fitness modeling and fitness. So I literally did everything. And then what my dad said when I was eight years old, he's like, Koya, you're going to be a teacher. I was like, I don't want to be a teacher, but he saw my, that ability in me to every time I learned something, I was four of us. And I was, I have an older brother, younger brother, younger sister. So every time I learned something, I was showing my, my brothers and sisters how I do it. So he saw that natural gift as I was resistant. It came back to that's what I naturally did. That's what I naturally love to do. I love to not only when I learn things, share them. When I learn about great products, great food or whatever, I'm so passionate about it. I want just everybody to know about it. This is so good. I love this. They're like, it's not that serious. I was like, no, no, it is actually, you know? So I just have this huge passion. Even when I went to IAN, I had already, you know, had these studies and I was just like, oh, they just, 
super affirm the fact, even though they're not like strictly vegan or anything like that, I feel like the blue zones and the information that they got about like all of the other, like, and that's one thing I liked about them. They really explored so many different modalities that it really affirmed me choosing a plant-based lifestyle. And it really let me know this is the lifestyle for me. So I really suggest just filling your love bank and like look doing all the things that bring you joy and noticing what's rising to the top, noticing what gives you the most satisfaction. I would love to hear a little bit about that fear-based living versus fierce living and how to, to some of your favorite tips of overcoming that. Absolutely. Even when I had the title of the book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, like I know people are like, so what does it mean to be fierce? And fierce to me is like, and I have an acronym in the book and I break it down, but in this, the easiest definition is to be in alignment with love. And when I talk about love and fear, I don't talk about fear as an absence of love. I feel like love is all there is. And I actually feel like love and fear are partners. And I feel like fear is our friend. Like when we have these emotions of fear, it's telling us something's not right, something's off. And so if we look at our emotions, fear, shame, guilt, sadness, uncertainty, as just alerts and friends telling us, hey, something's wrong, something's not right, something's, you know, and really start to lean in and process, it will lead us to align with love, which I do feel is a higher vibration, vibrates highly. Like when they've done all the studies of heart coherence and things like that, like I, I feel like once you really get into the science of it, in order to raise your vibration from those fear-based vibrations, you have to do it anyway. You have to keep moving forward. And then when you're moving forward, but not toxic positivity, not saying the fear or the anger doesn't exist, but saying, okay, let me acknowledge my fear, my anger, my rage, how I'm feeling and what is needed right now. What is my body trying to tell me? What is the reality trying to tell me? What is humanity trying to tell us right now as a whole that we need to do in order to be okay? And I feel like if we look at, at fear as feedback, which is what I talk about in the book, like I said, look at fear as feedback. It can really help us grow and expand and thrive. So fear is our friend, fear is feedback. And if you let your fears make you fierce, you will align with love and grow and expand and experience the resilience of having gone through a challenging time or an obstacle or even being down, which I've been through so many times, you realize that your challenges aren't meant to crush you. They're meant to uplift you, but it takes time of doing it anyway. It takes time of processing your pain so that you can see the light and get on the other side. I think there's just so much happiness and success on that other side of fear that we all need to get out of our comfort zone and do things that, you know, kind of scare us. Yeah, absolutely. Coming up next is Justin Kamine, co-founder of Do Good Foods, a company created to combat climate change and fight food waste by upcycling food at supermarkets and turning that into feed for chickens. Justin shares about how he finds balance, what inspires him to do his best, and living life for his dash. Balance is an interesting word. Um, I think with, with 
the phones and computers, right? We're, we're connected now 24 seven. So yeah, I'm waking up and doing emails at 3 a.m. in the morning. My father's still texting at 4 a.m. saying, what about this idea? What about that idea? That's so inherently ingrained in kind of, I guess, our DNA for better or worse. But I think turning off your phone, I've actually started to do that. And just like, at not, night like, or oh. at what point in the day? Like I'll go to the gym and like from like six to eight, I'll just like turn it off. And like that just reset and like that decompression where it's not just like, oh, let me just constantly check is actually a really beneficial way. And I do think that the problems that we are focused on, every one of these companies is focused on a massive problem, right? Whether it be the healthcare system, the food waste, the animal agriculture, seaweed-based bioplastics, whatever, cardboard, it's inspiring and exciting that there are so many people willing to jump in and willing to lend their time and energy and resources. I can't tell you how many people have opened up doors for me that ask for nothing in return. And it's just that do good effect. It's that pay it forward because we're all on this planet together. And I guess what kind of inspires me is if I don't have kids yet, I want them. And their future is kind of dependent upon how we act currently right now. And so that enables me to kind of wake up every day kind of with a smile on my face, sometimes with a lot of anxiety, <laughs> but it's that, okay, we're all in this together, that do good of, I want to do good with good people. So balance and relaxation, it's kind of like, it just becomes every day where it's finding that hour or two to kind of really just decompress. And then, yeah, it's just eat healthy and working out and, and having fun alongside of it, recognizing that we're all not going to get out of here alive anyway. So might as, might as well enjoy it. Yeah, I think... You know, when you're so passionate about something that has such a bigger purpose than you, you just want to do it every day. And it, it's not it's like work is never a word that you would ever use. It's just yes. your the, DNA. The, the best question that I ever got asked was uh, a gentleman. Uh, I was on a panel and he walked up the aisle and he started asking me, what is your dash? What is your dash? He turns around to the entire room and says, everyone is in here is defined by their dash. And Justin, what's your dash? I'm like, sir, with all due respect, no idea what, what you're talking about, right? I'm like, sure, what your dash means? I have no idea, right? I'm like sweating up on the stage. I'm like, I have no idea. I completely missed this in school. And uh, he puts his arm around me, he goes, think about it. The day that you die, you get your gravestone. The name that you're given, the day that you're born, dash, the day that you're dead. And your dash is your legacy. Your dash is your contribution to society. Your dash is how many people you actually impacted that's actually going to show up at your funeral, right? And it's this like kind of morbid way to think about life. But if you wake up every day, you're going to go, okay, am I making my dash happy? And, and am I satisfying that? That's a really cool way to live so that every kind of interaction, every kind of engagement that you have, to try to be relatively positive. In this section, Sam Cass, former senior policy advisor for nutrition in the Obama administration and partner in Acre Ventures, investing in the future of food, talks about the connection between food and climate change and what we can all do about it. So it's kind of up to us and companies and humans just like yourself who've decided like, this isn't good enough. We need something better. And just like, literally like, carried oats up five flights of stairs in New York to try to like get it going and built a wonderful company that is providing much better nutrition and much better quality products to a lot of people. I mean, then that is the change. Um, it's just going to take a lot of repetitions of purely Elizabeth to, to get the system that we need. Yeah. Well, I think 
you know, the one silver lining of COVID is certainly this shift from the consumer lens of that mm -hmm. demand really coming there and the awareness. So I think, you know, it's all moving in a really exciting direction. I'd love to hear about more of like what's exciting you in food and ag in any of your investments. And then also as it relates to climate change, because that's obviously a hot topic of food and climate change. I know we've talked about for us this year, oats had a horrible crop year, 40% less oats. Like that's just the beginning of yeah. having disruption in food and, and foods going extinct, all of that. So that, let's go yeah. there for a little bit. Yeah, no, look, I think we've been in an age of stability. Like if you think about the last hundred years are the most stable from a climate standpoint that scientists can identify in the history of the world, like literally. And we have built a food system and had a population, global population explosion based on the, our ability to produce cheap calories. We built a system that's predicated on a very stable climate. We're basically eating like 12 things, seven crops, five animals globally. And, you know, the genetic diversity in those crops is very limited and we essentially you know to use the food now we have all our eggs in basically one basket and now we're entering an age of intense volatility and we're just not prepared for it and we're going to see really devastating disruptions into our global supply chain we're already seeing it and i mean imagine 40 percent of the oak crop i mean that's and Huge. that we haven't seen anything yet we haven't seen anything yet i mean think about that Massive. That's insane. Which and is translates massive. to a 70% increase of, of cost. That's right. And how, how is that? Right. Right. And so this is the new norm. And so I think what we have to, where we're going to have to start pivot. I mean, obviously, you know, food and agriculture has this, you know, kind of multidimensional relationship with climate. It's the number two driver of greenhouse gas emissions globally. But unlike energy, you know, where you, there's some real technologies, both from transportation side and, and wind and solar, et cetera, where we can see the curve starting to flatten and with the sight lines to start going down. Food and ag is going straight up. And depending on who you ask, we're somewhere 20, 30 years away from food and ag being the number one driver of greenhouse gas emissions. But on the flip side, it's sort of on the front lines of climate and bearing the brunt of, of the impacts of climate. And as we lose uh, sort of our water when you look at the moisture and water predictions, it's terrifying. Like our aquifers globally are basically tapped out and, you know, places that are like in Salinas Valley, et cetera, they're going to, they're predicted to essentially become deserts over the next, you know, 40, 50, 100 years, depending on the time horizons or those predictions vary some, but it's like, that's definitely where it's going. Yeah. And so it's going to be a complicated, scary. difficult, scary future. And we got to, you know, I think right now what we're fighting for and food and my life's work and food is, I think a big part of it is we're fighting to stave off the kind of complete collapse, you know, the complete catastrophe of, from climate as it relates to everything, but certainly food. And if we can bring our footprint down pretty dramatically in the next you know, de decade uh, to give us a chance to kind of then get the rest, I think, you know, there's going to be some real disruptions that are already baked in. Like that's like, we are well past that point. We're going to, we're going to top 1.5. There's no, question but and so we're gonna to have to be able to deal with that but i think that's what we're fighting for and then we got to figure out how to build a much more diverse food system that can deal with a lot of the volatility that we're going to be facing so that that's what i think the work is but like we're not 
you know, some of the investments and companies and entrepreneurs that I'm working with give me lots of reasons to hope. But then you read the science and you're just like, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. And we are falling behind. And even now with all the attention and energy, we're still like nowhere close to making the amount of capital investments and the amount uh, of shifts that we need to to come close to staving off the worst, in my opinion. And so we're running out of time. It's like, and everybody's been saying this and it's, you don't want to sound alarmist, but it's like, like, it's true. And I think my things are starting to get bad. Like the world's starting to burn. You know, we're having massive crop failures, all these disrupt, you know, Texas is frozen. You know, there's, there's a tornado or cyclone in Ireland. It's like never, you know, like things are starting to get crazy, crazy enough. That fire I, and boulder. That, yeah. Yeah. The fire and boulder is like, it just, that was insane. It looked like complete end times. Like, I, and I have some dear friends who lost their home in Boulder and, hopefully that propels us to much more bold action both in our personal lives as well as in pushing our our representatives and uh, leaders on the local and federal level to to get much more aggressive on trying to tackle this issue like we just we we don't have any just for the sake of our kids like we, we can't mess around anymore and keep delaying so for someone who's listening and freaking out now of the world is coming to an end. <laughs> Not really. But what are a couple of tips that you would say for, you know, someone personally to be doing to drink a lot of wine, drown out the sorrows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, from the food perspective, you know, there's no magic here. M- meat and particularly red meat is the number one driver of emissions in, in, in food by far. And so reducing the amount of animal protein uh, we're eating is, is really important. And, you know, beef is the, by far the number one contributor lambs behind in terms of footprint, you know, pork, chicken starts to not be as bad, um, in terms of its, 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 its greenhouse gas effect. So even it, so, and that's what I've sort of tried to do. I've mostly cut out beef. I'm a chef and meat eater. So like, I don't think, who knows? Life is long, but I can't imagine myself being a vegetarian. Yeah. Although, all love to my vegetarian friends <laughs> and family, but trying to move my way down on the both amounts that I'm eating and the you know where I'm eating on that. So the smaller the animal, the better. So chicken, virgin, fish, all better than a steak. So you know that's been my approach, and I'd say that's number one. And so just trying to fill your your plate with less processed. One thing that's generally true is that the things that are tend to be better for us is our health is also better for the planet. It's not one-to-one, but it's pretty close. So trying to eat healthier, simpler foods, trying to cook a little more will lead you to have a more climate-friendly diet. In this conversation, Dr. Robin Burzin, founder and CEO of Parsley Health, America's leading holistic medical practice, talks about why so many of us are chronically sick and the core actions and tips we can take to feel better like getting off of technology and improving our sleep. We are a setup for sickness and it's not just physical sickness, it's mental, emotional sickness in the way that we're living our lives. First of all, 60% of American adults have a diagnosed chronic condition and tens of millions more are living with one and don't know it yet because to the point you just made, when was the last time you actually got tested? Do you know? You don't know. And so a lot of people are not getting kind of standard 
proactive preventive medical care or identifying these underlying issues and things like a thyroid condition, a blood sugar condition, inflammation, autoimmune, these types of things are insidious, right? They happen in the body for a long time, years, sometimes decades before they manifest in something you can feel. But sometimes that, that alarm system in your body isn't like an ache or a pain, it's anxiety, it's depression, it's brain fog. And so we're living with chronic conditions, more than 50% of us as adults. And that is a huge driver. And that's just been a link that modern medicine hasn't made. We've separated mind and body in modern medicine. Psych department over here, physical health over there, the two don't talk to each other, but that's not how the body works. And so that's one. And then the other big one is that when I say we're set up for sickness is that we're eating pounds and pounds of sugar a year, 70% ultra processed foods. We sit 11 hours a day when the body's actually designed to move emotional energy through movement. We are addicted literally to our devices and they are depleting our mental health. And this is proven in the literature. And so if you think about you and I, we're, we know, right, all this stuff you could say, and a lot of people, you might say, know this stuff. I would say most people don't know this stuff. Most people don't know that they're making a choice when they are eating a certain food to um, have, have a migraine because that connection has never been made for them. So they're not making a choice because how do you know? Mm-hmm. But even if you feel like you are reasonably healthy, most of us still eat too much sugar, highly processed diet, sit too much, look at screens too, too much. And then when you throw the sort of common ways we're all socialized to deal with our stress, alcohol, drugs, eating on top of that, you just have a bonfire of insidious kind of mental illness. And it doesn't mean necessarily something like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, which is worsened by everything I just said, but not caused by it. It's, it's the low grade or sometimes high grade burnout that everyone was experiencing before the pandemic. And I'm one silver lining. I think of the pandemic is that it's shown a big spotlight on this crisis and show that we can't afford to ignore this anymore. Let's dive into some of these core actions that you call them throughout to really help. And the first being technology, which I think this is such a big piece that we, I think, yes, a little bit people know, but to the extent of like how it's truly affecting us. And I even think about it from like, we're so multitasking, unfocused, something I at least identify with that it's affecting. So if you can talk a little bit about how it's affecting us and and what good tips do you have for staying off our devices? Yeah, so this one's a tough one for all of us, right? Because we're like, this is how we live and work. Our devices are not going away. But the average person, I think it's 80% of Americans feel anxiety if their phone is more than five feet away from them at any given moment. That's insane. And the research has proven that these devices are without question, social media platforms are lowering our self-esteem, especially as women, teenagers is even worse. The constant scrolling and inhaling of information that's highly stimulatory and frankly designed to make you angry or make you pay attention, whether it's the news or social or whatever it is, is disrupting your sleep, is causing anxiety, that looking at screens all day is exhausting to the brain. So that feeling of burnout is not just like, oh, I need a day off. It's like, no, you're doing something all day, every day that is exhausting to your brain and your eyes. Okay. So 
I think the first thing we have to understand is that these devices are not going anywhere, but they're also our relationship with them and how we're using them today isn't very good for us. So we just have to accept that. It's not you. Like, it's not, I hear a lot, like people sort of think like, oh, that's a problem for someone else. Not really a problem for me, but I don't know a single person who doesn't go on vacation or go to the beach for a week and like, not look at their phone. Who's not like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Right. <laughs> totally. And so um, listen to that. So what do you do? Right. You're not going to throw everything out the window because you need it to live and work and, and shop and do all these things. So what I recommend is stop looking at your screens an hour before bed every night. It's going to massively improve your sleep quality, no matter how many hours you're sleeping. So find something else to do, whether it's doing a yoga class, taking an Epsom salt bath, doing your breathing and meditation, getting out a pen and paper and journaling, prepping lunch for your kids the next day, right? There's always something to do, but there's things to do that don't involve scrolling or looking at your screens. The next one I recommend is practice, like building a muscle, how to have fun without them. And that means like, say Saturday mornings, you're no screen time, but what are you going to do with that time? Not, not looking at your phone. And a lot of people I think have sort of forgotten how to entertain themselves or go find something to do without it. So go for a walk or go to brunch or <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Right. But organize your house, but like finds, I derive pleasure from that. I don't know if anybody else does. <laughs> I, it helps, it helps me. It's soothing to me, but you know, practice that. Right. And that skill, that skill set, because I think it's so critical that we remind ourselves every week how to detach from them. Another one is if you're on video calls all day, like I am trying to make a certain percentage of them, at least 25% audio only, because looking at yourself and all the other people on screen is actually something that human beings were not designed to do. And so it's very, it actually has been shown to be extremely taxing to the brain to be constantly looking at a mirror image of yourself and somebody else and often multiple people as you're having a conversation. So those are some of my tips. And I think we just need to take back our power from the, the screens a little bit so that we can use them, but use them in a healthier way. So on the topic of sleep, let's jump into that. Mm -hmm. And really like, what happens when we sleep? Why is it so important? And I think to me, that's one of the other biggest offenders that just so many of us are not taking those hours. Mm -hmm. I've been obsessed with my whoop. <laughs> so really <laughs> tracking my sleep and um, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's dive into that. Track, yeah, I was about to say like, get a tracker because you might be sleeping fewer hours than you think. And I always tell people, even if you borrow somebody's and wear it for a week or whatever, it can be really instructive. The other thing is like from there, take a test drive on what nine hours of sleep feels like. A lot of people, a lot of people think that they can get away with like six, seven hours or seven and a half. And a lot of people really need eight to nine. And so I'm like test drive for a week, nine hours of sleep, see how you feel. The reason being that you might need that time to get through the number of three to four full sleep cycles that are going to allow you to feel fully rested. And so that is just, can be really eye-opening for people. Going to bed a little bit earlier can massively help because we all have, people sort of talk about that second wind you get around midnight. That's like a second cortisol spike between 11 PM to 12 PM for a lot of people that if you go to bed by 10, you'll skip and end up having a deeper and more high quality sleep throughout the night than if you went to bed just an hour later, even if you got the same total number of hours. 
the nighttime is when the brain takes out the trash of the day. So your metabolism, the brain cells doing their work, make trash, they metabolic trash, chemical trash. And it's like, if you just went through your life in your house and you just didn't clean up your house ever, and you didn't take out your trash after like a couple of weeks, like your house would be like a place that you couldn't function in. Right. Or your apartment for me here in New York. So it's the same way. Your brain actually washes itself at night. It's like a cleaning service, like shoosh. And then in the morning it's done washing. But if it doesn't get to do that washing cycle, because you're not getting enough full sleep cycles, you literally builds up debris. And then you can start to feel like burnout, poor focus, poor energy, low cognitive function. And then that tends to compound because then what do people do? They turn to the sugar, they turn to caffeine to try to like keep themselves going during the day to give you those like stimulatory spikes that like adrenal fight or flight spike that sugar or caffeine gives you to just try to make it through the like underlying core fatigue. And so taking your sleep seriously and focusing on quality sleep is one of the best things that you can do. Sometimes just chronic sleep deprivation. And I don't mean like getting two hours a night, but like maybe getting six, seven, or maybe getting really poor quality sleep for a long period of time, that type of sleep depression, deprivation can mask as depression. And so I always say to my patients, if you're not sleeping, like we got to fix that. Cause if you're not sleeping, like none of the other stuff we're trying to do here is going to really work. What are your favorite tools to use for better sleep? Like from a supplement standpoint or yeah, other uh, I love magnesium glycinate or magnesium three and eight. So I take a few hundred milligrams of these forms of magnesium at bedtime. They help me have, relax and have a deeper sleep. Be careful. And it's fine to take that every night or is that totally yeah. fine, non-addictive nature Xanax, but non-addictive, totally safe. Be careful out there. There are people, some people mistake the mag and they get the mag oxide or the mag citrate. Make sure you look at which kind you get because those will make you poo. They will not help you sleep. <laughs> so just be careful because if you're like, wow, I'm not so relaxed, but like, whoa, you probably got the wrong kind of magnesium. And then I also love some supplements or some really great compound relaxed supplements. I talk about my supplement regimen and supplements I recommend in the book, including L-theanine, GABA. These can be really helpful, natural, non-addictive sleep aids. I love a dark, cold room. So your sleep environment really needs to be upgraded and temperature is actually really important for hitting that um, deeper sleep cycle. And then do not mistake alcohol as a sleep aid because it might help you conk out, but it is disrupting your quality of sleep. So alcohol in the evenings leads to your body not being able to drop into its lower core body temperature or heart rate that you need for deeper sleep. So I see a lot of people make the the alcohol mistake thinking it's helping their sleep and it's actually really hurting it. How do you feel about CBD for sleep? It's great if it works for you. And I find CBD is one of those things that is like hit or miss. And for some people, it seems to be really effective. And for other people, it doesn't seem to do anything, but worth a shot. Next up is Megan Roop, celebrity fitness instructor and the founder of Sculpt Society, a workout that blends dance, cardio, and sculpting. Megan opens up in this conversation about finding balance with food and how to tune into your body to eat more intuitively. So in my early 20s, I went through cycles of yo-yo dieting and binging, and it was just years of feeling tied to whatever fad diet I was doing. And of course, being unsuccessful in it because diets don't work as we all know. 
And so I just got to this point of frustration and I read this book, Woman, Food and God by Janine Roth. And it really opened my eyes to what intuitive eating was. It's a great um, book, by the way, yes. for anybody. <laughs> yes, it's a great book. And it really just made me understand that um, it's also simple. We as humans complicate things, especially when it comes to food, we want the next miracle diet that's going to shed the pounds. And I think if we actually scrap all of that diet mindset and we actually can tune into ourselves, what makes us, what do, food do we enjoy? What food makes us feel good, feel energized and continuing to just strive to eat real whole food. That's what I do. My philosophy is really intuitively eating, trusting myself around food and indulging, of course, when I want to, but does it make me feel great afterwards? Not really. So the next day I go back to the foods that really, again, fuel me and give me energy. So it's not, there's no rules. There's no good food, bad food. I don't look at food in that way anymore. And that definitely took years. People always ask me like, how do you go from, you know, that diet culture mindset yeah. to intuitively eating? And I think it just takes time and it takes time building that trust back up with yourself that your body is going to give you the cues of when you're hungry, when you're satisfied and trusting them and knowing that you don't need to be confined with a set of rules around food. Because I think as, especially as Americans, we're, we, we just grow up with all of these diet culture mindsets around food, what food is good and what's bad and what we can and can't have. But the second you take away those rules, I'm telling you the freedom on the other side, it feels so good. Totally. I'm a firm believer in 80, 20, if that's even a rule, but just like that yeah. same mentality of not having that restriction. Are there any other tips, I guess, around that transition for someone who is so focused to, you know, I think that book as an example is great. What other things, if any, can you think of, of like, how do you really shift? I think too, it's, it's kind of like fitness. It's, you have to play around with food, play around with fitness, what works for you and your body. And, and, and listening to the cues of your body. I know for me, I love hummus, but if I have a lot of hummus, I feel really bloated. I don't feel great afterwards. So just tuning into it, I think we're so, oftentimes so numbed out that if we actually could just take a second and just tune into those cues and also maybe even talking to a professional. I think sometimes there's just like weird stigma about that. But if you are someone who really wants to get into that groove of intuitive eating and, and, and you are still so stuck in that diet culture mindset and the rules, talk to a professional who can guide you and, and has, have like more tools in their toolbox. In this section, Mimi Bouchard, founder and CEO of Superhuman, one of my favorite daily meditation apps, shares tools and tips for creating the life that you want, how to shift your mindset and use visualization to achieve your ideal life. This is the biggest thing. If you want a certain type of life, you can't feel bad about not having it if you're not willing to figure out what kind of person gets to live that life. You, the, the easiest way to get what you want in anything, in any area, is to become the kind of person that has it. And then naturally, you're going to start doing those things and being that person and creating that in your life. I think that's like my quite unique approach to, quote, the law of attraction, energetics, manifestation. You know, like I said, the app's not very spiritual. We don't really like go into too much energy stuff a little bit, but because I, I do believe in it. But my way, my more pragmatic approach is to get you to figure out who your 
quote, future self, higher self, best self, whatever you want to call her or him is, and just step into that. Get familiar with how it feels to be that person and then step into it. And then the meditations condition you to step into it. So you understand how that version of you would act when grocery shopping, how that version of you would act right before bed, falling asleep, kind of priming the mind to think a certain way. Change does not need to be complicated. Change does not need to be hard. What were some of those things that have helped for you and that you've seen work for others? For sure. First of all, it's a mindset thing. And I know it's easier said than done. It's reminding yourself of who you want to be. So first getting crystal clear with any change. And I'm a big journaler. I love to write. Every morning I write and I can write whatever is on my mind. Um, you know, and if you're not a big journaler, we have writing meditations on superhuman. So it's prompted amazing journaling sessions with cool music and, and just kind of gets you into that flow, but it's all guided. So that's super helpful. But I think getting clarity by writing it down is a big tip. And then just these little micro habits that you bring on throughout your day to remind you of who you want to be. So whether that's doing uh, a meditation when you're cooking dinner at night, just having it on in the background, we have amazing like jazzy cooking meditations that just make you feel really good. Just like up leveling your state in any way, shape or form you can after getting that clarity of what you want. So then when you're up leveling, you can align yourself with that feeling of what you want. But the number one thing is getting clear. I think that's that's one thing that no one really has these days. Like we need clarity, get crystal clear. It feels so good to be clear. So journaling is a big one when it comes to that. Otherwise, you know, waking up early, doing a morning routine. I've always been a huge advocate uh, for a morning routine. It really just sets up your day. And I always say your mornings create your days, your days create your weeks, your weeks then create your months and your months become your years and your years become your life. So that's how big your mornings have when it comes to impact. So just designing a morning routine that sets you up to feel like your best self. I think it's, that's a no brainer, but those are the ones that have really helped for me significantly. I do love how you say like you are in control of your life. And I think that that's a really important message that is great for all of us to be reminded yeah. of. Like we can control that. We can control the outcome and all of these things really leading up, you know, is a great reminder. Yeah. The, the first chapter in that book, that first personal growth book that I read, The Success Principles, the first chapter is you are 100% responsible for your life. And when I first read that chapter, I was like, victim mode. I'm like, you don't know what like I've been like you like uh, this person did this and because of this then I can't do this and it was so interesting to see the evolution that I've now had since like embodying that principle because now it's like a no-brainer it's like everyone you're responsible for your life and someone that has had the exact same circumstance as you out there has created an epic life, life for themselves and it's possible so I think like just empowering yourself with that thought and knowing that luck is created by taking action. It's very rare for someone to be lucky and to have this amazing life. Like it takes a lot of work and it's worth it. But getting out of that victim mentality and like looking for outside reasons why you cannot be successful, I think that's the biggest detriment 
to your potential. And the moment that you realize that you are 100% responsible for what you create in this world, no matter where you came from, I think it's the moment that you are empowered enough to actually make it happen because it all goes down to your beliefs and identity, right? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If it's like, oh no, because I wasn't raised with money, then I can't have this. I don't have these opportunities. I moved to a whole different country at 18 and I didn't know anyone. I created the, the first two years I was there. I had a huge network of contacts to help me with my growth and my, my career with my life. And it's because I actually took action on it. I created my luck with just putting myself out there. Lastly, Alyssa Goodman, holistic nutritionist and lifestyle cleanse expert, talks about the tools she uses when working with clients to heal the gut and autoimmune issues, like her favorite probiotics, juices, and how to add more veggies into your diet. So first and foremost, it's like, I really started working on my gut, healing my gut a lot of different ways. I feel like these days, I know probiotics are still a little bit controversial. Like, do they get to where they need to be? Do they actually do the work? But I have had so much success with them. So there's some great probiotics on the market. Um, your I've favorite? Been a lot of, it's really right now. I love seed, which is a really good one. It's pre and pro. It's like 53 billion probiotics. So it's, you absorb like half if you're lucky sometimes with capsules. Also Genuine Health, it's from Canada. I love that one too. There's, I love liquid ones as well. There's a, I think there's a, it's a drink from Colorado, a woman called Inner Eco. Okay. And yeah, yeah it's a hundred billion probiotic and one tablespoon. So sauerkraut, there's foods like I love all of the probiotic market. I've been putting people on a hundred billion probiotics and like the results have been incredible. So I think you need, our beneficial microbiome is very depleted. And it depletes when you have over-the-counter medications, stress, toxins in your food. I mean, it's sensitive. So you get viral issues or bacteria or fungus. And I just think over the years, we don't have enough. And we never do. I think we never get to a place where we're even at a happy medium. So we just need to, so I did that and I've been still doing that a lot. I rebuild my intestinal lining. I have leaky gut, of course, which most people have. I did that with a really good high-end collagen powder. I mean, Vital Proteins is out there, which is great. Further Food is a small company from San Francisco, women-owned that I love. So getting amino acids to rebuild your tissue lining and your muscle, and I think that's really important. I think lowering pathogens in the intestines and the gut, because I think we're just loaded with that as well. I think juicing can do that. I mean, celery and cucumber with minerals, mineral salts is really powerful. The medical medium and his celery juice, you know, I think that can lower viral loads in your intestines. Um, there's some great herbs that do that as well. Also vitamin C's antiviral and zinc and bioactive silver. So there's some really good like, like herbs that, and I love to do one thing at a time. Like I don't love to do proprietary blend or a lot of times I just want to see what's working and what isn't working. How long do you try something to see, like, is this really working or not? I feel like I can feel like it's working within days. Like sometimes I just, I am very much about energy. So I like kind of test my supplements to see if like I want it, I need it, or how much do I need? I try to tap into it because our instincts or intuition are always right. And we do know what we need. Yeah. Yes, I can recommend it to clients, but I want them to be like, 
hmm, is she like, does she know what she's talking about? And <laughs> how much do I need? And investigate it maybe a little bit, because if they're not attached to it, they're not going to get what they need out of it. So I did, I did get trained by the medical medium for a year and a half as part of his practitioner group. And I did speak to him a couple of times about myself with my hypo and Hashimoto's. And he really did help me go into remission for both those things. Wow. And he put me on some fabulous herbs, which I did for a year. And I sort of like started investigating more about that. So I really think it's, we just need to, vitamin D is crucial for gut healing, magnesium, these things, the basic things. And I think the gut is important and immune building is so important or immune balancing, sleep and distressing and taking some supplements for immune system, as well as eating a variety of diet like plants and vegetables and fruits are really crucial. They have the vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients. I'm an 80% plant-based girl. So I basically, I love plant-based proteins. I also love soy, so I'm, I eat tempeh and tofu and edamame. I'm always making sure I get enough protein if it's plant-based. And then I do add some animal protein into my diet, hoping it's clean. At home, it's clean, but going out, it's hard to, to do that. But I think we need a little animal protein. So I'm not fully vegan, 80-20. Um, also, in the animal protein, there's a lot of amino acids that also help rebuild everything, and it's great for anti-aging. So I feel like that has been sort of my ticket. The juicing also is, is a home run. Juicing mostly every day or doing a really high-end quality greens powder. What's your juice that you would do every day? I various? simple, simple celery, cucumber, lemon, ginger. Nice. I am just like a basic. What's your you know, favorite juicer? Simple. Yeah. So it, it really isn't a fancy one. It's called yeah. Breville Cold Fountain Plus. The only problem is you got to juice and drink it right away because it hits a heat source and the nutrients do dissipate. But is so it easy some, to clean? Because I think that's yeah. like the biggest, yeah, the biggest obstacle. It's super easy to clean. So, and it's not expensive. So check that one out. There, yeah. Yeah. There's also the Huron. I think it's H-U-R-O-M is a good one too. And it's, I don't think it's a heat, it's not a heat source, but it's also a little slow. I'm not good with the slow. (laughs) Coming up in season four of the Live Purely podcast, I sit down and chat with some incredibly inspiring entrepreneurs, doctors, and wellness gurus like Dr. William Lee, physician, scientist, and author of Eat to Beat Disease, Kyla Barnes, certified brain health coach and biohacker, Dr. Devgan, top board certified New York City plastic surgeon, Sarah Gibson Tuttle, founder and CEO of Olive and June, Todd White, founder of Dry Farm Wines, and Kelly Turner, PhD and New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope. And that's just to name a few. So be sure to tune in July 6th when season four drops. In the meantime, go back to listen to some of the juicy episodes you may have missed. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, I would be so appreciative if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Until then, send you all the good vibes to thrive on your wellness journey.